0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Spitfire podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lemunyan, the Spitfire coach, here with another awesome episode to help you on your journey to emerging your Spitfire power. Today, I'm talking to Wendy Dickinson, a fellow coach. She uh, has a company called Ascend Coaching Solutions. She works with small and mid-sized businesses and helping them find their inner power, their inner efficiency, becoming their best selves in their business. And in fact, We got so wrapped in our pre-conversation interview that I just started recording and we went right into this. So uh, I'm going to just turn it over to Wendy because we're talking about mergers, acquisitions, psychological safety, diversity, equity, inclusion, and a brand new webinar that the two of us are putting together on April 12th. Check it out. It's going to be awesome, consciouslyprofitable.com. But without further ado, Wendy, take it away.
1: You know, for me, I work so often with business owners, right? And, and those are small to medium-sized companies. And so that means that they can have very few employees, but they can have a big impact. Or it can be somebody who has, you know, a, a fairly decent number, you know, 75, 100, a couple hundred people. And one of the um, Senate bills that's up for consideration right now that was introduced by Senator Amy Klobuchar um, has to do, has four different points to it, but two caught my interest. And, and Lauren, I think it's going, if this bill goes through, and I'm sure it's going to change, it doesn't currently have a House companion bill yet. And it's, it's like I said, it's, it's up for markup. But there are two pieces of it that are super interesting, I think, for companies. Number one, it's an antitrust bill. And so um, it is looking at some of the big tech companies uh, recent, and I'm talking about the last 10 years, recent um, tendency to kind of swoop in and grab some sort of intellectual property that can hugely impact the industry before anybody else has a chance. So there's that. And then the second thing is, is that prior to this bill if a company was valued and the purchase price was 94 million or or above then the the government and in this case you know antitrust would have to prove that the company was not going to be going to constitute a monopoly through this acquisition and the reason that's so Impactful is because for all of those tech startups that you and I talk to, those companies that are in that small to medium, but but we know that they're growing, we know that their technology, their intellectual property is going to have a big impact on the world, then it's going to radically impact how those owner founders exit that business. Mm. So will they be able to do that in a way that is, oh, and I'm sorry, it's going from 94 million to 50 million. That's huge. Yeah. And the honest of proof is no longer gonna be on the government to disprove or prove monopoly. It's going to be on the acquirer. So increase legal, legal spend, obviously. And I think it's gonna probably limit some of the the startups ability to to leverage that company into an exit that's profitable for not only themselves but also their their investors and shareholders and and so that i think can have a huge impact on how things go forward and then second of all if companies are going to do this process are going to be bought and sold well 75% 75% of integrations are considered a failure three years out. People don't do it well. And that brings me back to three questions that I read about this morning that we should all consider in transitions. And, and those three questions, and I'm gonna read them because I don't want to, to miss, misspeak them. And this is an article in HBR three tools to help leaders steady their teams during a transition. Well, so you ask these three questions. Where can I give my employees choice? How can I instill purpose into everyday activities? And then third, what new objects, innovations, or technologies can serve as a bridge to where we're headed? And not only is that relevant for this time of COVID and, and you know, transitioning back to some sort of future work. But it also has a huge impact on companies within that mergers and acquisition space. And I think it's the key as to why companies don't integrate successfully. And, and what the article, and, and the woman that wrote this is Victoria Grady, and she's a professor. And she goes on to say that it's transitional objects and I don't necessarily mean like a security blanket, but it could be. Um, One healthcare company that she worked with was having a really difficult time. They were doing a lot of restructuring because their costs had escalated. They were trying to increase their shareholder returns. And, And so they actually gave everyone an orange frog and said, okay, look for the orange frogs, the the bright spots, the positives in the midst of every day, which makes sense because who wants to dedicate every day, all day to things that are really heartbreaking as so often the a a restructuring is. And, And then the other piece of it is, is that a lot of times we're asking people to do things differently with different people. And we don't give them those transitional objects. And you know, Lauren, now I'm getting to what our upcoming webinar is about, how to create teams of psychological safety. Because what we're asking people to do in the midst of the pandemic, and for many people in the midst of personal crises, but also changes like companies being bought and sold, and in some cases closed, we're also asking people to Be in this messy racial reckoning that we're going through. And of course, it's not only racialism, it's also cultural, it's mobility, it's, it's age, it's any kind of bias that we bring to the table when we're relating with other people. And how can we give people a choice about how to show up? How can we give people purpose in doing that and then what can we offer them as far as the new objects that will help them and and i again not just an orange frog but habits that will help them not show up in in the midst of these changes and of course you can see that i am white super white and and so how can i not show up as a karen mhm uh-huh. right how can I show up when my whole world is topsy-turvy, maybe at home, certainly at the office, and, and, and then also show up with my brothers and sisters of, of color, of culture, of, of abilities, in a way where I can be authentic, but I can, as a leader, call forth their best.
0: Wow. You know it's funny i just i just need to to capture this because we've been recording and this was like the pre-interview but we're just gonna roll with this into because this is so awesome we didn't even do an introduction because we're we're just gonna go um but i think it's it's so interesting it's like how do individuals feel psychologically safe Mm -hmm. when they're in crisis when they're in constant change? Uh, in this me, me, me focus, and how do they convert it into a we centered, uh, we centered approach? And and maybe that is at the heart of it. Of like, how do we take that M and flip it to a W? Which is so funny because you can't spell Wendy without we.
1: Oh, I love that, Lauren. <laughs> You're right. Hey, you know what occurs to me as you say that though, is we have to start with me. We have to we have to have as a leader leadership of self. And to me, leadership of self is creating, um, embracing a growth mindset. It is expanding my awareness. So not only aware of the, my, my gifts and skills, but aware of my blind spots, my knowledge gaps, my beliefs, my assumptions, all of those things are, are part of the me. And it's also recognizing when I'm at my limits, right? Where I don't have energy or bandwidth to give, or when I'm in that kind of negative self-taught place, which we all can do at times. And, and then leadership, when I have all that, then I can step into that we of leadership of others. I gotta like start with, I've got to start with the me. I've got to start with what I bring to the table and really know what that is. Not just what I would ideally like for it to be you know?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Like I'm envisioning kind of this knee cup of like, you know, people are flipping it and trying to focus on other people. So it's not even like a a comprehensive organizational view, but it's really like, how do I serve other people? But if their cup isn't full, they don't have the, the ability, the sustainability to be of service. Um, And I just want to back it up a little bit because I know as coaches, we, we have our own language, Um, which unless you are like in this world or like reading books that have this terminology, like blind spots and gaps and limiting beliefs of like, what does that look like? How does that show up on an everyday basis?
1: I'll give you an example. And and this is going to sound like a strange one, but it was, it it struck me a lot of um, times blind spots, of course, are things that we don't see about ourselves and we don't see how we're contributing to a problem. So I'm going to use a very nuts and bolts real impact. Um, I'm working with a company right now. It's a family business. And one of the members of the family brought to my attention a habit that another member of the family has. And what this person does is every time he loses a tool, and apparently it happens pretty often, that, uh, and, and this is a company that does a lot of property management types of tasks, right? So every time he loses a tool, he takes money out of petty cash and goes and buys another one. So one of the things that they're doing is they're taking a look at creating some sort of system and process, which to date they haven't had. And and this is a third generation company. And so they've never had a system for accounting for petty cash. They keep a certain amount of petty cash. And when it's gone, they just put that same amount back in Right? (laughs) And, and this business, unlike a lot of others, is um, it's very much a cash-based business. And so that for them is not a problem. However, it is a problem on the long-term viability of the company. Not to mention who needs 15 or 20 wrenches and screwdrivers uh, that are the exact same size. No, they don't. And so it's wasteful. Um, and, and that's an example of somebody who, it, because it was always done that way, because it's something that they have done for 30 years. That is something they saw the generation before them do. And it never occurred because it was not directly impacting that person. It was easier. Mm. And I feel like um, that's a, a great example because it's easy to see how it's impacting their petty cash, it's impacting their cash flow in general. What I think this also applies to, and again, I'm being conscious of our, our verbiage as coaches, is when we show up and we engage in the same behaviors we've engaged in all of the time and not realizing how the our words or our actions might impact someone else. So I um, have had the opportunity to speak with um, some people who are women of color who work in a international organization, large company that happens to have an office here in my area. And so um, they the, these women described to me how they have had the experience of where they are sitting at a table in the lunch area and someone that they don't know comes in and says, basically, asked, where is the supervisor of such and such place? They were told they were in the lunchroom, but obviously they're not. And they were, because one of those women was that person. Mm -hmm. But the other person just looked at the two women and uh, made the assumption that neither of them were the person they were looking for.
0: Yeah, so it becomes kind of this embedded, like institutionalized thinking. That. it's always been done that way. You know, my idea of what a supervisor looks like is, is a white, older male, um, that has a certain presence about them. Um, and so it's, it's not even that people are conscious of it. And that's why this unconscious bias is so powerful and it's so hard to unpack. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, like if, if you're let's, let's imagine his name is George walking into the lunchroom. Uh, he, gets exposed as, as his bias comes to the surface. And then what typically happens?
1: So in this situation, I will also add that he had the title, he was looking for safety officer and I'm just going to say Smith. And so safety officer Smith doesn't indicate whether safety officer Smith is anything other than a person. Right. And, and so for this woman who is my, my acquaintance, my friend, um, she feels very comfortable sharing these experiences with her, her boss. Now what doesn't happen is that the boss seldom takes it any farther. He's not comfortable because he's a white guy. He's very much like the George that you described. So what I take away from that, and, and she and I have talked about this, what we take, take away from that is that, number one, he doesn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And he is unsure in her, his own um, beliefs, behaviors, blind spots, knowledge gaps. He's not always sure himself how to show up in those situations. And, and so what she has done several times has then gone beyond him. And so then that person has been, um, I will say better equipped Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and certainly more prepared to then circle back with my friend's supervisor and and engage in a conversation with the three of them about this person's behavior. So I think that there are inroads, but I I wanna point out something that I don't think is always um, obvious especially to people like me who are white and middle-aged is I am asking, or, or in those situations, my friend is having to step over her own supervisor's head, which is risky. Mm -hmm. She's then having to explain to that person and to her supervisor and then having yet another conversation with all three of them. And at times they've pulled in a fourth or a fifth person where she's having to explain yet again. So we're asking someone who has been, and and we could use a lot of different terminology. I'm just gonna say victim. Who's been the victim in this situation Mm -hmm. or who, who has to carry the burden, maybe might be more palatable burden of the explanation time and again so she gets to relive this at least twice if not three four and five times
0: yeah yeah and there's this there's there's the separation if if you are the minority in the group that you're reporting to it's it's exacerbating like it's exhausting emotionally the emotional labor that uh, is is required in order to have your voice heard. You have to speak that much louder. And it's not always landing on open and safe spaces. You're going to hear excuses, potentially. You're going to hear a lot of, well, he didn't really mean it, or he was just confused. Right. Um, what comes up for me is around sexual harassment of, he thought y'all were just friends. That's what I heard when a coworker who was the boss's son put his hands on me. Mm-hmm. So this happens because we have a system that protects the bottom line. We have HR, which is supposed to be a human resource, but they have become a profit resource. How do we protect the bottom line? And I don't know if you're seeing this too, but I mean, it's kind of hard to ignore it in in the press of now companies are being exposed where there have been cover-ups, where there have been uh, silence practices, where don't speak up. It's not that big of a deal, or that people get um, sidelined in their own uh, career trajectory. I'm getting a little like my spitfires come out on this because like it's, yeah. it's definitely because, hitting a nerve.
1: <laughs> because we care, and and I will say that um, one of the things that I find really interesting right now, and I agree with you the 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 general opinion is that these systems have evolved to protect the bottom line, to protect profitability, to create sustainability within a company. I'm gonna say though, that the research is beginning to show, and I'm beginning to see that actually with the companies where um, people are willing to create these psychologically safe teams, And when I say team, I'm not talking about a small group of people within an organization. I'm talking about making everybody within the organization part of the team. And and so when companies are willing to take the time to get into these messy conversations, to be real with each other in a safe, safe way, I think, I believe that is the true path to profitability. That is the true path to sustainability.
0: Yes, which is such a great segue for our project uh, that, that we are teaming up on. Uh, mm-hmm. why, don't, why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, you and I are both very passionate about helping our clients become uh, the people they were created to be, right? The people, the leaders they are capable of being, incre- helping them increase their capacities and capabilities and to prosper, to be profitable. And, and I, you and I were talking and, and working together on this webinar, putting together our experiences. And we, we happened on this concept of being consciously profitable. And, and that's what I feel like is the best terminology to explain where I believe we as a society are capable of going. I believe the business landscape will be greatly improved sustainable, more sustainable, more profitable by being consciously profitable. And that means creating a psychologically safe team.
0: Amazing. That was so beautifully put. And and we have, uh, we've created this webinar as kind of the introduction to it of, you know, what are the pillars of psychological safety? Because it is a big topic. I mean, I remember reading about it maybe a year ago when, when it started really, cropping up around the pandemic and around, um, you know, racial justice and social justice issues. Um, and I was sending it to my clients and they're like, where can I learn more about this? How do I work through this? Because it was not readily accessible and, and, and to even acknowledge, well, what happens if I'm not creating psychologically safe spaces? Like, am I part of the problem? And this is where the Karens and the Todd's, you know, am I inadvertently doing this and how do I stop this?
1: Yeah. You know, I I think that um, we we don't have a great way for how to na- how to acu- accumulate information that we feel is accurate and comfortable, and and so I I wish I had a magic wand for that I don't. But what I will tell your your listeners, Lauren, is that um, Dr. Timothy Timothy Clark has written a book, The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. He's done a lot of research on this particular topic. You can take a look at his research. You can take a look at his methodology. And his research is is an accurate reflection of what I have seen, not only through my career in mental health, but also um, in my career as a business coach, of where when people feel psychologically safe, they are able to show up and include others include a a diversity of perspective. And he goes on to say that inclusion unlocks the power of diversity. And that's where I think we get back to conscious, being consciously profitable because that allows each person at the table to contribute to the solution, to the product, to the service. And that then allows the company to become more profitable.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is really the best asset that companies have is, is their employees and allowing them to show up as their whole self uh, with all of the things that, that you didn't see before all of their experiences, because they represent your customer. They represent the world at large. And uh, the, the show before this, we were talking about de yourself, like, People businesses are niching themselves with their clientele or with their leadership and only having one or two perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so this opens up this whole different ball game of like what other opportunities are right underneath our nose? How do we allow people to shine and be their best? How do we really let them play uh, in this creation and collaboration?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like your point is, is exactly where the, the profitability and the sustainability are falling short. When companies are so niched that they are cutting themselves off from entire segments of the marketplace, they are, are really locking down their ability to grow, their ability to prosper. And, and so by including a diverse group of people and, and serving a diverse group of clients and customers, then you unlock your potential for growth and sustainability. And, and it just kills me the way that, um, so for example, have you heard about the, the lip bar? No. Okay. There's a woman and her name escapes me right now, but there's a company called the lip bar. And this woman was someone she's a a black woman and she was working and I want to say she was like at one of the big banks as an analyst and from Detroit first person in her, her family to go to college goes there is really unhappy in the work but feels like she's locked in and one of the things she loved to do was make stuff like she got into making soap and on a weird kind of way she then ends up coming up with pigments or learns that there, there are pigments that exist for lipsticks. And, and so she's like, I want to try to make lipsticks for black women. And she does. And so she makes these in her little apartment for years, getting her friends, her family, everybody else to try it out. And then suddenly she has created this company of the lip bar. Now, The interesting thing is, is that she created it initially, of course, for women of color. However, other women are finding her lip colors very exciting and very fun. And so she's now in Target and such. So yes, it makes sense And you and I found this so often in different places, especially in our coach training school about choose your niche. Yes. Okay. However, do you want to just serve that one Mm -hmm. or is there more? Is there more that you can do that you can, um, do to increase the diversity of your client and customers? And I think that the answer for most of us is yes. But I also think going back to my friend's story about being not being recognized as the safety officer, is that we don't we get locked and loaded in doing certain things over and over again, and we forget that we're all middle-aged white men sitting around a table and we went to Stanford, Harvard, or Wharton.
0: Yeah. It's like the autopilot of leadership. Yeah. There's yeah. so much more. Wake up.
1: Yes. yes. <laughs> well, I've there are people of, there are people of different types of mobility. There are people who have different neurodiversity. There are people who are people of color and different cultures and different, all sorts of opportunities that can bring, they can bring their perspectives to your attention.
0: Absolutely. And I'm excited about it. In fact, um, the other day I had a, a call with one of my clients as a nonprofit and they said, we really want to make diversity on our board um, a top priority. And I said, I'm really happy to hear that because that was one of my concerns about, you know, working with you all that, that you were locked into kind of this, this bro code. And, um, and I think, I think there is a willingness. I think there is an openness, but I don't think people know where to start. I think, diversity becomes like their goal, but they don't understand, well, what is a psychologically safe environment look like? What do inclusive uh, environments and cultures look like? What does equity look like? So, you know, when we started talking about this, uh, this idea for the webinar, you know, this is really the first step of many in, in a diversity, equity, and inclusive process and practice.
1: You know, Lauren, the other question that I would ask you in in looking at the board that you're talking about is what what steps do they feel safe taking? Mm -hmm. And I I think that that's where a lot of people um, become paralyzed is that when the issue does come to their attention, when they are willing to take a step, they're just not sure which one is safe for me to take. Yeah. And I I think that um, going back to the me and we, I think that this is where having a webinar and, and then offering people the opportunity to be involved in safe, guided, inclusive conversations allow people to look at what steps will they, will they be willing to take? What actions are they willing to take? What beliefs and assumptions are they willing to shift and change? Yeah, and that goes back to those three questions, right? So, so again, what's the choice? What are the choices? Is there only one one step that makes sense to take? When I find my clients engaged in either or thinking, I usually realize that there are there are way more options than that. How about yeah. you?
0: Well, yeah. so I always challenge them, and I said, "So what if we replaced or with and?" What, I know, right? What would show up? And they're like, "Wait, what?" I know. Like, I can choose. I yeah. can create. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just like blows their minds like pew. Yeah. And and then that thing of how can I instill purpose in everyday activities? And that's why I think it's so important that we understand that the more d- inclusive and div- diverse and equitable that we are able to um, have that representation around our decision making and design thinking tables, then we have the opportunity to really drive our purpose our mission our mission and our vision right so so it becomes meaningful work even though it's hard to make those changes even though it's scary to make those changes and a lot of times it challenges our our personal identities
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and I'm talking about core identity there as well as relational that then i feel then we are are challenging people to stay in that discomfort, right? Getting comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and, and again, knowing that they're, they're in it for the purpose, for the mission, for the vision, and they get to choose what their transitional bridge is. So again, it's the and not the either or.
0: Yeah. It's so amazing though. When, when I, when I work with clients, they have been so trained to follow the binary of it's this or it's this or tell me what I'm supposed to do that when they are given the option of choice, they don't even know what to do with it most times because they haven't felt psychologically safe.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting. So our brains neurologically, if <laughs> this is gonna sound weird, but our brains, if we can get out of that either or even if we can just introduce one more option we have an 80% chance of making a better decision mm. than if we just have the either or.
0: That's amazing. Isn't that interesting? So amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited um, to do this webinar on the 12th. Uh, we have a landing page called uh, consciouslyprofitable.com that uh, has all the information there. And, and we're also going to be doing a three-part series called Inclusive Conversations to Follow. Um, I think this is really awesome work because we're, we're taking, you know, we're always looking for more studies and more information, but this is the first that I've seen that really takes on inclusivity and and safety and really puts the practice of like, we're all going to shut shed it, shed it down and like get to the heart of what makes us uncomfortable and really like create the space to sit in it and work through it.
1: Yeah, I think the webinar is going to offer people some a framework to begin to think about what practices they could put into place, I think that the inclusive conversations that will happen afterwards is the opportunity to actually practice it Mm -hmm. before you take it out into the big world.
0: Yeah, like a baby giraffe. Yeah, (laughs)
1: it's that opportunity to practice in a safe space before you have to risk your career or risk your reputation or whatever that happens to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I also, mean, it, I'm sorry. I just want to again mention and you know, have people read that book, The Four Stages of the Psychologically Safe Team.
0: Yeah.
1: The, I mean the four stages of psychologically psychological safety. Ah, gosh, Lauren. <laughs>
0: we'll get that. Well, maybe we need Ooh. to write the follow-up.
1: Ah, yeah, there we are. <laughs> we can say how, how it works in the real world.
0: Yes. Yes. Taking it beyond uh, the, the university labs and into the real world. Because things have changed. I mean, things have, have shifted. And the the way that people grab information and have access to, to the real world perspective that wasn't there before is there. Like we cannot, I mean, we can ignore it, but it takes an active practice to ignore what's happening. Yeah. It and does. it's not just about being complicit. Then you are actually like consciously ignoring and yeah. denying. Absolutely. So we're going to have some hard, hard conversations, but necessary conversations. Um,
1: And we're going to support people throughout their change. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. We're not going to throw you out there and say, okay, go, go swim in the ocean. (laughs) There's sharks around you, but you'll be okay. (laughs) Here's some driftwood. No, we're not going to do that to you. No, we're not. We're not going to give you some floaties. We're going to give you uh, some flare guns and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, Wendy, if people want to learn more about you and, and, and your business coaching, where can they go?
1: I would suggest they visit my website, Ascend Coaching Solutions. And I'm Wendy Dickinson, and I'm an ICF accredited coach and have been a former business owner who sold a business to a Fortune 1000 and have been a therapist. And am very interested in helping my clients navigate that intersection of, of life and business. And so I encourage anyone who would like to engage in our conversation to just reach out. And I hope to see all of your listeners on our webinar. on the Absolutely. 12th.
0: It's free. There's really no excuse. And it's not going to be recorded because we're going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, because we're going to have those hard, I'm going to stop saying hard conversations we're going to have the necessary conversations and we want people to feel very free and safe to say what they want to say without people listening to it out of context and things like that. So you have to be there in order to hear us. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us and sharing your nuggets of wisdom and and being flexible to just roll with it right into the start.
1: Well, I appreciate your having me, Lauren. As always, I get so much out of every conversation that I have with you. And so again, I look forward to the webinar and see you on the
0: 12th. Awesome. Thanks everybody. And for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome.